Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 6, or actually chapter 8. Why don't we stand for a minute? Actually, I want to begin in verse 15 of chapter 7. We read, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. You can be seated. Now, as we come here to chapter 8, there's a 25-year gap between chapters 7 and 8 of 1 Samuel. And in that time, Samuel has grown older and his sons are sharing the load as it relates to the judging of Israel. And so as we come to chapter 8, we read, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel and the name of the second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways, and they turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Now this is interesting to me because this is the same thing that we saw happen to the sons of Eli. They also became corrupted. Eli's sons were corrupted by lust. Samuel's sons were corrupted by lucre or by money. Now, those are two of the big three perils in the ministry. Pastor Chuck has said a time or two, don't touch women, don't touch the money, and don't touch the glory. Those are the three things, the three perils, the three things that he warns those in ministry To avoid, stay away from women, stay away from the money, and stay away from the glory. Billy Graham, he said something similar concerning things that will bring down those in ministry, that that those three things are, are money, women, and pride. Getting prideful. And these are three things that that we see oftentimes bringing down those men that had been raised up by the Lord in the Bible, as well as those today. And it's interesting because the more you study the word of God, the more that you recognize that Satan is really in a rut. He only has three plays in his playbook because they're the same three things that he, you know, uses to bring down people back in Bible days. And he's still using it today. You think that we would get wise. You think that we would come to that place of understanding in in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we're told that we should not be ignorant of the devices of the devil. And these are three areas that the devil will seek to come against, to distract, and to pull down those who are involved in ministry, whether it's full-time ministry, some people who are you know, pastors and youth pastors and, and, and that type of thing, or just those who are serving in the ministry. And I really want to encourage you, as the body here at Calvary Chapel of Vista, to keep those in, in ministry here, keep our pastors, keep those in leadership, 
Keep those who are serving in the various places. Keep us in prayer. I think that we have laid out some pretty good safeguards to guard against this type of thing and, and against you know being distracted and taken off course and shipwrecked in this type of way. But I, I, I really ask of you, pray for us. Pray for us. Because we are in a war. We are in a battle. And the enemy is, you know, he's not holding back at all in this day and age. And, and uh, unfortunately, we, we've seen people in our fellowship fall in some of these areas. And uh, so pray. Keep us in prayer as it relates to these things. And so the, the sons of Eli, it was lust. The sons of Samuel, it was, it was money. Now, this is one of the only sad commentaries concerning the life of Samuel, is that his kids didn't honor the Lord. Now, I read numerous commentaries in in studying, and and I want to just preface something here tonight. Uh, On Sunday, I said we were going to cover chapters 8, 9, and 10. We're only going to get through chapter 8 tonight, because uh, I think there's a lot here that the Lord would have us to, to consider so we're only going to look at chapter 8. But I, in, in reading through the commentaries, there were many who gave their opinions on this matter, citing reasons why the sons of Samuel didn't walk with the Lord. Some said that Samuel neglected his role as a father in raising his boys, and this was the result. That it was because he had neglected his responsibility. Others suggested that it was his ministry schedule as he was traveling around. To the different cities that we you know, read there in uh, verse 16 of chapter 7. That he was traveling around to these different cities that it affected his ability to parent. But here's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter concerning this issue is that the Bible is silent on this issue. It doesn't tell us where or if Samuel erred as a parent. It doesn't say. It doesn't draw out. Now, the Lord definitely did draw out some insights for us concerning Eli, where he neglected his parental responsibility toward his children. But the the Bible doesn't say any such thing as it relates to Samuel. The Bible is silent on this. And I think that we should take note. That this is something that we should really take note of, that even the most godly of individuals can have kids who walk away from the Lord. You see, our kids have a choice to make. Our kids have a choice as to whether or not they are going to walk with God or whether they are not going to walk with God. It's a choice that they have been given by the Lord. Now, I do believe that the more time that we spend with our kids in, in conversation and things that center around the things of the Lord, talking with them about the things of the Lord, making the Lord a part of our daily decisions, our daily conversations, the more that we do that, the more that we bring the Lord into our, our daily interaction with our children, the better the chances are that they will walk with the Lord, that they will stay with the Lord. But I want you to know, and I know that you know this, but it's good to be reminded, the enemy is after our kids. He is after our kids. 
And we see that today in, I could give you an array of statistics on things that are happening today in, in, with our, our teenagers here in this country. And they're under attack. The devil is after them. He wants to take down this generation because he knows that if he can, he'll weaken this nation. And he's going after them at every single level, through the media, in the school, in the classrooms, through peer pressure. It's no coincidence that the leading cause of death amongst teenagers today is suicide. And right up there ranking up, you know, with suicide is is drunken driving. And then after that, AIDS. And then you can add, you know, shootings in, in schools and that type of thing. The devil wants to destroy our young people. Now, we as parents, those of us who are parents here, we need to understand that. And we need to take note to as much as we possibly can to talk with our kids, to converse with our kids about the things of the Lord, to find ways to bring the Lord into our conversations. And things like family devotions are very, very helpful. I know it gets challenging or more challenging to do that type of thing as your kids get older and they're off doing all their different things and having all their different activities. It can be a challenge to do that, but it can be helpful. But, in, but the reality is this, none of those things are going to guarantee that our kids won't stray. So we need to pray a lot and stay as close to them as we possibly can. Now, another misconception that is made here about Samuel is that Samuel made a mistake in making his sons judges because they were corrupt. But if we are reading the passage accurately, I think it, it, it seems clear that his sons did not become corrupt until they were given power. We don't read of them becoming corrupt until they are placed in this position as a judge. It wasn't that they were corrupt and then he put them in that position as a judge, but it seems that, that their, the, the corrupt nature came out of them once they were placed in that position of power. And the old adage is true that says power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it seems from the text here that their problems revealed themselves only after they were put in that position. And so that being the case, I think the only error that I see that Samuel made was not discerning that his sons were not ready to step into that position. You know, Paul warned in his epistle to Timothy, he warned about laying hands on a person suddenly. Placing our hands on someone to elevate them to a position of ministry when they weren't ready. To not lay hands on anyone, he said, who is a, a novice. Someone who isn't ready to be in that particular position. And I think that applies to our children. And it also applies to our children in the faith. You see, all of us here have people, or a lot of us have people here that we've influenced. People maybe that we've led to the Lord. People that, that you know, we have... Uh, God has used us in their life. 
And in a sense, they are our children in the faith. And sometimes there can be a tendency for those of us who have children or children in the faith to to so much want to see them do well. And so much want to see them, you know, step up and step into areas where they're being used by the Lord that we can be guilty of putting them into places of ministry before they're ready. And I think that that probably is the only real error that Samuel made here in this is that he really didn't discern the heart of his children. And he put them in this place and they weren't ready you see, God made Samuel a judge. It wasn't the people. It wasn't the people that made Samuel a judge. It was God. And it was a mistake for Samuel to think that God wanted his sons to follow in his footsteps. You see, when a man enters into ministry, he needs to know that he's in that place because God called him to be there. Not because he thought it would be a good thing, not because he thought it would be a cool thing, not because he thought, you know, hey, I'd like to do that someday, or not even because someone else suggested that he would be great for it. You see, it needs to be something that that man knows in his heart that God has called him to. You know, I had people for years telling me that I was going to be a pastor before God ever told me that I was going to be a pastor. But you know what? I never, ever gave any credence to anything that anybody else ever said to me about that matter because I needed to hear it from God. And I actually, you know, ran from it until I heard from the Lord. Hey, this is what I've called you to. And so a man, he needs to know that that calling that, that is, is coming to him from the Lord, and then it will be confirmed, I believe, by those who are currently in leadership. They will bear witness of that calling. Well, the behavior of Samuel's sons prompted the elders of Israel to approach Samuel with a disturbing request. We pick it up in verse 4. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And so here we see the people ask for a king. Now, what's the difference between a king and a judge? Well, a judge was a leader that God raised up usually to meet a specific need in a time of crisis or to deal with a difficult situation in the history of Israel. But when the crisis was over, usually the judge went back to doing what he was doing before. If he was a farmer, he went back to farming. If he was, you know, whatever his occupation was, whatever he was doing, that's what he went back to doing before. But a king not only held his office as king as long as he lived, but he also passed his throne down to his descendants. And so there was this difference. We see in the book of Judges in chapter 8 when Gideon, who was one of the judges there in Israel, and you know the story how God delivered, uh, used Gideon to deliver his people from the Midianites. And the, after the, the great victory that Gideon and his 300 men had over that great multitude, it was then that the people came to Gideon and they wanted to make him their king. 
And Gideon responded and said, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you, but the Lord, he shall rule over you. And it was that heart, that was the heart of the judges. And that's why for some 400 years in the promised land, the children of Israel were able to to live without a king. Because God would raise up these judges And we studied about them when we went through the book of Judges. But he would raise up these judges who had that heart. God's the king. God's the ruler. And we're just the man or we're just the woman, in Deborah's case, of the hour to stand and be the one who leads the people in this particular time of crisis into victory. So the big question is, why all of a sudden are the children of Israel asking for a king? Well, the answer is found there in the latter part of verse 5. Their their desire, the motive for their request is that their desire is to be like the nations around them. That's the problem. These guys are looking at the other nations and they're looking at the situation with Samuel. They're seeing the situation with his sons. And instead of seeking the Lord, they start thinking, you know what? We want to be like those guys. We want to be like the world. G. Campbell Morgan, in one of his commentaries, said this on Israel's request to be like the other nations. This is the revelation of the supreme wrong, he said. They had been chosen to be unlike the nations, a people directly governed by God. They were chosen to be unlike the other nations, a people directly governed by God. That's what they were to be. A people whose king was the Lord, a people who were governed by God. But here we see them turning from the Lord because they so want to be like the nations around them. And you know what? We can make that same problem in the church today. In fact, it has been a problem throughout really the the, the history of the church is turning from the ways of the Lord and saying, you know what? Let's, Let's try to do it like this and looking and seeing what's the world doing to attract people? What's the world doing to entice people? What's the world doing to wow people? What's the world doing to entertain people? And we're going to bring that type of mentality into the church. Being like the nations around us. Believers wanting to be like the world. You know what happens with that? It starts with little compromises, but it results in big compromises. And so this was their problem. This was their motivation. This was at the heart of their request. They wanted to be like the nations around them. We pick it up in verse six, verse six. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now, Samuel does hear what many of us are prone to do when people walk away from the Lord. He takes it personally. He takes this as a personal insult. They're rejecting me. Their words, they they were painful to him. It it hurt him. He's taking this as a personal assault. But then he does the right thing. And I want you to note this. There at the end of verse 6, it says, So Samuel prayed to the Lord. He does the right thing here. He goes to the Lord. He doesn't lash out at them. He doesn't go around talking about them. You see, that so often can be our tendency in this type of situation. We lash out. We take it personally. We get defensive. Samuel doesn't do that. 
It hurt what they were saying. It hurt him. But he takes it there to the Lord. He prayed. He went to the Lord and he put this and the Lord is able to take this whole matter and reveal it or show it to Samuel from the proper perspective. Verse seven. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods so that they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over over them. So God speaks to Samuel here and says, Here, the real issue, it's not you they're rejecting, Samuel. It's me. They're rejecting me. And we need to remember this. We need to make note of this when we see people walk away from the Lord. People that we've invested time in. People that maybe we've discipled. People that we've maybe led to the Lord. Maybe people that, that, that we've invested and shown great love with. And all of a sudden we see them turn and they walk away from the Lord. We need to remember they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the Lord. As much as it hurts when we see one of our children walk away from the Lord. We need to remember it's not us that they're rejecting. Ultimately, they are rejecting God. And we need to grieve with God's heart. Not our own pride. Not our own sense of, I can't believe this. I did so much for this person. And how could they do this to me? It's not you. Their battle, their fight is with God. It's with the Lord. He's the one that they're rebelling against. It's his spirit that they are grieving. It's his spirit that, that they're rejecting, that they're ignoring. And we need to hurt with God's hurt. From the aspect that they are walking away from God's best. They're missing out on God's best for them. And so God says to Samuel, don't, don't feel personally offended. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me from being king over them. You see, God wanted a theocracy for his people. In other words, a people who would be ruled by him. They would be ruled by God. But the people were wanting a, a monarchy. They wanted a man to rule over them. But you know what? God still desires a theocracy for his people. God wants his people, you and I, to be ruled by him. He wants to be the king and the Lord of each one of our lives. That's his desire for us. We read in the book of Genesis, the story of Jacob. And Jacob was a man who spent his whole life or the majority of his life, running from the rule of God. And God let him. He let him run. He let him go do his thing. And what Jacob left behind him was, was a, a complete array, a history of broken relationships and burnt bridges. All over the place, that was the result of, of Jacob's life. Broken bridges, broken relationships, until one night, Jacob is 
running from one bad situation, heading towards another bad situation. He's burned his bridges on both sides. His brother's coming with him, whom he ripped off years earlier. He's got 400 men. Jacob's got his family, and he's thinking, this is going to be it. And so one night, as his family's camping out, he tells his two wives, he says, look, you guys stay here. I, I need some peace and quiet. You know, and he crosses over the, this little brook there and he goes to kind of camp out by himself. And it's that night that he ends up having this wrestling match. He thinks that at the time it's an angel, but in reality it was the Lord. And he's having this wrestling match there with God. And it's going on all night long. They're going back and forth as they're, they're, they're wrestling. Now, now, God was not overtaken. Jacob wasn't, you know, Hulk Hogan. You know, he wasn't like some great big match for God. God was just kind of toying with Jacob. In essence, what he was seeking to do is something that he does in each one of our lives as well, is he was seeking to get Jacob to the end of himself. Seeking to get Jacob to that place where he was just worn out. And finally, as the day begins to break and the Lord wrestling there with Jacob says, you know, I need to leave. And Jacob grabs a hold of him and says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm desperate here. I've got broken bridges and broken relationships all over the place. And I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the Lord has, you know, for me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And then it's like there the Lord says, oh, really? And he just touches. Like just with his, you know, little finger, just touches Jacob's hip. And suddenly his hip is thrown out of socket. It's like Jacob's in great pain and suddenly he realizes, you know, this is no, you know, mere man that I've been wrestling with. And it's there that he finally comes to the end of himself. He's finally broken. And it's there that God renames Jacob and he says to him, he asks him, it's interesting, what's your name? Now God knew Jacob's name. But he wanted Jacob to basically confess because his name was really an indication of who he was. It started, he was named correctly by his parents. You see, he was a twin. And when he came out of the womb, his brother Esau came out first. And Esau came out with this hand attached to his heel. And it was like like Jacob was trying to pull Esau back in so he could get out first, you know, because the one who was born first got the blessing. And that was Jacob's whole life. Always trying to pull others back so that he might push himself ahead. And, and so they named him Jacob. It means heel catcher, supplanter. And that's what he was. That was his life. He spent his whole life running from God, trying to... to pull others back to push himself forward instead of allowing the Lord to be the one who would raise him up, the one who would elevate him. And the Lord says, what's your name? He says, it's, it's, I can just see it. It's Jacob. That's who I am. And the Lord says, no longer. From this day forth, you shall be called Israel. Israel means a man governed by God. That's what God wanted for Jacob all along, that he would be a man governed by God. But it took Jacob being completely broken to get him to that place 
It took him, listen, being permanently scarred. The rest of his life, he walked with a limp. They didn't have hip replacements in those days. You know, he walked with a limp his whole the rest of his life. It took him being permanently scarred, completely broken to become a man governed by God. But listen, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. The Lord loves you so much. He loves us so much that he's not going to give up on us. He'll let us run and then he'll seek to pull us back. He'll let us go our own way and reap the consequences of that so that we come to that place where we're broken and bruised so we call out to him. But guys, there's a better way. And the better way is to just let him rule now. Let him be king now. Yield your heart and life to him now and follow after him now. You see, there's coming a day when the Lord is going to rule over the earth. Keep your place here in Samuel and turn over to Psalm chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2. Verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. That he, the Lord, has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And the ends of the earth for your possession. Now, this is a messianic psalm. In other words, it's a psalm about Jesus, the Messiah. And the promise of God to his son is that he is going to reign over the uttermost parts of the earth. And this promise will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes again at his second coming. And all kinds of glorious prophecies concerning the conditions that will exist on the earth during that time in the kingdom age are going to come to pass. And then this world will really see what it means to live and have a theocracy where God is ruling over the earth. You see, right now, Satan rules this earth. Jesus called him the prince of this world and the world system, the present world system that that we live in is in rebellion against God. It's being led by Satan. But Jesus is coming. The day is coming when he will come and establish the kingdom of God. And that's why when he gave his disciples that model prayer, when he was teaching them how to pray, one of the things that he told them to pray was thy kingdom come and thy will be done in this earth, even as it is in heaven. Praying, in other words, for that glorious kingdom. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. But here's the thing. Right now, Satan is the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He has this system of the world that is against God. And it's growing. It's growing in power. It's growing in in number. It's growing in influence in our world. It's coming against the church. You know, in Canada... Right now, it is against the law. In fact, there was the report in the paper just recently about a pastor who was fined. And I think he even spent some time in jail. It's against the law in Canada to speak out against homosexuality in a public forum like this from a pulpit. It's against the law. And you know what? They're trying to pass that same law in this country. That's Satan's system. 
That's his rule. That's his influence. I was talking to a brother last week about this, and I told him, I said, well, if it comes to that, you got to come visit me in jail and take care of my wife and kids for me. But it's coming to that. Should the Lord tarry, there's a good possibility that that type of law will also be passed in our nation. It's that system of the world. We pray for the Lord to come. That he would set up his kingdom, his rulership. But in the meantime, he wants to rule in our hearts. He wants our hearts, our lives to be his kingdom. To be his place of rulership so that we are walking and living in a way that would please him. Turn back over to 1 Samuel and let's pick it up in verse 9. Now therefore heed their voice, the Lord said. I want you to notice verse 9 again. However, you shall solemnly, notice that he says, heed their voice. They're asking for a king, give it to them, heed their voice. But then he says, however, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Now I see something that's extremely important here. God is giving in to the demands of the people. Now this is interesting. I want you to note that because, you see, God will not force you against your will to serve him. He's not going to do that. He's not that kind of God. He doesn't force himself upon anyone. If you don't want to serve God, he's not going to force you to serve him. He's not going to do that. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. But rather, God will accommodate your lower standard. If you want to live at a low level and insist on it, God will accommodate himself to that lower level. He loves you so much that he will do the best that he possibly can for you on that lower level. But here's the tragic thing. It's a tragic thing when we seek to bring God down to our level. When we seek to bring God down to a a lower level rather than being elevated and lifted up to God's level. You see, that's what he desires. We're living on this lower level, this fleshly level, this level that is dealing with, you know, so much that is temporal, so much that is physical, so much that deals with the flesh. And God wants to elevate us. He wants us to live with an eternal perspective. He wants us to, to approach life from a, a whole different level, a whole different perspective, a whole different direction. But if we choose not to do that and we want to lower and we want to stay on this lower plane and just always concerned about this, this lower plane and all these fleshly things, he will accommodate us. He'll lower himself in a sense. He'll do the best that he possibly can to meet us on that lower level. But we're missing out. When the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, God blessed them by sending manna for them to eat every single day, morning by morning. And that manna had in it the perfect nutrients for them to be strengthened for the journey that he was calling them to walk on. And they were told by the Lord to just take enough for one day, for one day's provision. To just go out, take enough for that day, and except on the sixth day. 
Because the seventh day was the day of rest. The Lord said on the sixth day that they could go and they could take enough for two days provision. And that God would keep it. And so it it was a good thing that God was doing. It was the perfect nutrients for them to be strengthened for their journey. And it also was his way of seeking to get them to walk and live by faith. But the people grew tired of the manna. They started grumbling and complaining and they demanded of God, give us some meat. And so God said, okay, you want meat? I'm going to give you some meat. And he sent quail. More quail than they knew what to do with. And they gorged themselves. So much so that you read there in the account, I think it's in Numbers chapter 11, that they, they had quail coming out of their nostrils, it says. It's disgusting, isn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, they just ate and ate and ate. And it's like, you know, just, just, it was just all over the place. Coming out of their nostrils. All this quail. But in Psalm 106, in verse 15, the Holy Spirit adds this commentary to that scene. He says this. He gave into their request, but he sent leanness to their souls. He gave in to their request. You want meat? Okay. I'll give you meat. The man is perfect for you. To strengthen you and to keep you on this journey until I get you there in the promised land. There's going to be plenty of meat when you get there. But for right now, this is the best. That was where the Lord wanted them. Oh, no, we want meat. Okay, I'm going to give you meat. But he sent leanness to their souls. And you see, this is the point. You can seek for less than God's best to satisfy your physical needs and your physical appetites at the moment, but it will result in leanness to your soul. In the bigger picture of the eternal perspective, it is going to weaken us. It's going to weaken us. It's true that God will come down to our level, but God wants to lift us up to that highest level. If we'll let him. To live that life in the heavenlies as people surrendered to the Lord. People who understand what it means to to live in Christ and have Christ live in us. People who understand what it means that we are in Christ Jesus. Living in that realm where we know who we are in Jesus and who Jesus is in us. And that what the Bible says is true is that Jesus is sufficient for all things. And the Lord, that sufficiency is played out when we yield ourselves to him. When we allow him to be our king. So God declares, I will heed the request, but I want you to forewarn them about the king, what he's going to be like. Now we pick it up here in verse 10. Notice what he says. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be, this is, the Lord tells Samuel, this is going to be what the king is like. And now Samuel's going to tell the people, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take, underline every time it says take, he will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots to be his horsemen 
And some will run before his chariots. And he will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. And will set some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his offspring officers and servants and he will take your male servant and your female servant and your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work and he will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day notice that God says, this is going to be the characteristic of your king. And he's not talking about some foreign king. He's talking about one of their own. This is going to be the characteristic. He is going to take, 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 and take, and you are going to be his servants. That's going to be the outcome. He's giving them fair warning here of a true fact. That most kings are takers, not givers. They come to be served, not to serve. And if Israel wants a king, they must realize that he will be a taker and not a giver. And that they're going to be his servants. Now, that would be true in their history. But you know, not every king is a taking king. You see, there's a king. The king of kings. Our Lord Jesus He's not a taking king. He's a giving king. In fact, you look at his life. You look at how he came. He came in perfect humility. Born in a stable. And even at the point when when he, the, the only time really in his life where he even projected himself in a kingly fashion during his triumphal entry, How did he ride into the city of Jerusalem? Was it on a white stallion like the Roman kings and generals would? Was it under the the processional of of sitting upon a throne and being carried by, by servants? No, he came riding in lowly on a donkey. Coming in humility. His palace was not some big building, but it was the plains around Israel. He didn't have a bunch of servants, but instead he sought to serve. He served people. He came to bear up the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind. Those who were broken and those who were weary sought to to heal up, to help the lame to walk. He came in complete humility with a heart that said, I'm here Not to take, but to give. I'm here not to be served, but to serve. And Paul would write in the book of Philippians that that's the example that he was asking us to follow after. Listen while I read in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And Paul says there, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I say to the men, the husbands here tonight, who want to take that position and be the king in your home, will follow the example of Jesus and rule that kingdom the way that he did. Give, serve, in humility, in sacrifice, to bless your family. Notice verse 18 again. The Lord says, And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen. Why would Israel cry out? Because they wanted a king for unspiritual and ungodly reasons. And so God will call this coming king their king. This is your king. And he's going to make it clear. This is the king that you have chosen. But listen, if Israel had waited for God's king, they wouldn't have been crying out in this way unto the Lord. You see, God had a king in mind for Israel, a king who was going to be a man after his own heart, a king who would seek to rule them the way that God would seek to rule them, and a king in David who would be a preview, if you would. He'd be a preview. Of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And so God says, give him a preview. Let him know what it's going to be like. Their king, he's going to be a taker. But we pick it up in verse 19. This was their response. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And so the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. Now here's where we're going to stop tonight. And in our next study, we are going to see how the Lord granted their request, and he gave them a king like the other nations. Just like the other nations, you see, the king that God was going to, to, the man that God was going to prop up, the one that he was going to raise up was going to be a man who was basically tall, dark, and handsome. He was the, the perfect pick, if you would. He was exactly what the world would pick in a leader. He was just like the other nations. The kings of the other nations. He was just what the people were looking for in a leader. It's just what the world looks for. You see, everything was focused on the outward. And there was, they paid no attention to the inward, to the heart. But you see, that's what matters the most to the Lord. Unfortunately, we're still making that same mistake today. Looking at the outward... And failing to look at character and integrity. May the Lord help us. As we close tonight, I want you just to consider two things. One in your own heart. Where are you at tonight in that place as far as being a person? Are you a Jacob? Still trying to latch on and do so much in your own energy? The energy of your flesh? 
Are you running from God's rule? Or are you in Israel? Are you a man or woman who has said, Lord, I want to be governed by you. In all my affairs, in the way that I run my business, in the way that I I interact in my household, in the way that I am with my friends, in the way that I am and the things that I choose to be my hobbies, the way that I am in ministry, whatever it might be, Lord, I want to be in Israel. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman who's governed by you. I want to be one who is yielded to you. Or are you running from God's rule in some of those areas? I encourage you tonight to yield your heart. And also, I would just remind you tonight, be praying for our young people. We have a camp beginning next Sunday, a high school camp up in the mountains. Be praying for that. Put it on the top of your prayer list. We have a new high school pastor, and we need to be praying for our high school ministry as they go through this time of transition right now. Praying for Brian. Praying for those who are serving alongside of him and praying for our kids. It's a radical time in their lives. And God wants to take them and raise them up and work in their lives and bring them to that that highest level. But, But I think there are some, just like there's some here who are choosing. They're making choices to have God accommodate them on a much lower level. Oh, realize the Lord wants us to be sitting. Realize our place and our position with him in the heavenlies there in Christ and who we are in him and walking in that reality, not giving in to the lust of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you're so faithful to speak to our hearts. You're so faithful, Lord, to minister. And Lord, I just sense tonight that there are some here in this place who are running from your rule, who have areas of their life where they are not yielded. Lord, I pray this evening that they would make that decision to see that you might accommodate them in their lower request. But it's going to result in leanness to their souls. In the perspective of the eternal, it's going to result only in weakening. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I would just ask tonight, If you're here in that place and you know, you recognize, you you realize, you know, I I, that's me. I've been running from the rule of God in my life, in particular areas. And tonight you want to just stop. You want to surrender. You want to go tonight from being a Jacob to becoming an Israel and saying, Lord, in in everything, I I want you to rule. Lord, I want to give it all to you. I want to be yielded to you. If you're in that place tonight, I just would ask you, and just as 
our heads bowed and eyes closed. And just that, in your heart to just acknowledge that. Just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. Bless you guys. With your hand raised, many of you, I want you to think about that particular area. I want you to think about, it it might be your, your life as a whole. But chances are it might just be in a particular area or two or three. And I want you to think right now of that. And I want you just in the quietness of your own heart. As Joe plays this song, I want you just to to say, Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. You rule. Lord, you lead me. You direct me. You show me. Ask him right now to forgive you for resisting. Let's sing this song. Let's kind of make it our prayer.